opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Tuesday Topics. My name is Paul Edwards, and I and I really should have let Brian start this since this is this is as much his topic as it is mine. Hello, Brian. Hey there, Paul. How was your concert last Tuesday? My concert last Tuesday was okay. My concert last Wednesday was stupendous. Oh, Wednesday. Pardon me. I no we went to cancel both. Tuesday when- topics. Yeah. We canceled Tuesday topics for the Tuesday concert, um, but it, it was it was disappointing. It, it the, the 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 performers were very good and the musicians were excellent, but it it just wasn't my taste in music somehow. Um, so, but, but there Wednesday but there were you some went to a people. different place. Oh no, same place, different group. Oh, uh, okay. Wednesday it was a a group where the guy who who ran it actually started out in Boston. Brian, his name was. Uh, uh, his name was Jim Rooney, and the group was called Rooney's Irregulars. And I guess he owned a thing called Club Forty Seven up in Boston for many years. Yep, I know the name. Yep, and, and he, he was stupendous, and and so was everybody else who was in that group. So speaking yeah, of stupendous, was... oh, try again. Speaking of stupendous people, we have the regular Motley crew here this evening. How's it going, Larry? Motley Crue is here? Motley Crue. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Throwing band, band names around here. Yeah. Well, I'm good. You doing okay, guy? I'm doing I'm fine. Good. I'm doing well. And uh, I know that uh, my friend Rick sounded a bit um, not happy with the universe a moment ago. I hope he's feeling better now. How about it, Rick? <laughs> What do you mean, not happy with the universe? Yeah, no. you, you sounded like you were down in the dumps. No, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. How about you? Uh, you know, overworked I'm, I'm, and underpaid. I'm, I'm doing so well. I'm like a kid in a candy store, so don't worry about me. Oh, uh, talk about candy stores. I got a problem. Anyway, and uh, <laughs> of course, our uh, hostess with the mostess. Does anybody Ooh. say those things anymore? They do. You just did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. But then I say a lot of things from the Cro Magnum period. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Marianne, how are you doing? I'm okay. Hey, Paul, why didn't you bring us to the concert with you? You could have brought Tuesday's topic with you. That would have been fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, we could have heard the music too. Yeah. I'm good. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, excellent. Doing good. And. Uh, those everybody out there who received the, the notice of tonight's topic know that Paul would like to investigate the dark side of artificial intelligence. Dun, 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 and, uh, dun. and and one of the values of having co-hosts of this show is that when when one co-host takes one opinion, the other one can feel fine just taking the other side of it. So and probably that, should. Paul, Yes. With that, Paul, uh, what's with you and AI? I-A? AI. Yeah. Well, I, I think we should talk about a news item first, Brian, and maybe you know more about it than I do because I just saw it in passing. But the entity that we've been talking about um, uh, 
uh, over the past few weeks that has launched this this new system that you can interact with has apparently just been sold. And guess to whom? I believe it was to uh, to Google. Or was no. it Microsoft? One of the two. Microsoft. No. Wow. Yep. Really? Yeah. Is that not now, amazing? I understand they, they've been a minority investor for some time. Now, Google has its own side of things. The big three are Google are, yeah. and Microsoft. And what do you think the third one is? Uh, Amazon. They're more of a buyer than a seller, producer, yeah. or 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 that kind of stuff. Oh, Facebook, uh, sorry. That's right. Or good old Meta. Yeah, exactly. They're they're a big player and, in this. And really, place. they've they have been the one who sort of pushed the envelope hardest over the last year or two. Yeah, in a failed attempt to try to turn it into as. They call it the metaverse. Yes. But um, they found that trying to make virtual reality they just didn't. Well, speaking of AR. Speaking of virtual reality, (laughs) your reality got very virtual there for a minute, Brian. I thought he did it on his own. I thought he did it on purpose. (laughs) I'd love to be. I actually intended to do just that kind of thing tonight, Larry, but I didn't get my act together early enough in the week uh, to do it. Because I've been playing around with AI every day since we last had had a Tuesday topics out there. And yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll talk about some of those things. The, the other thing that I wanted to mention is I wanted to urge people to put artificial intelligence into their into the newly revitalized search box uh, on Bard. And there are at least 10 books um, that have come out since uh, 2019 uh, on this topic. Um so if people want to read more, there's an awful lot in accessible formats that folks can get to. And some of the books are extremely well-written. Um, so I would urge people to consider that. But you asked me a question, and I haven't done a darn thing about answering it, Mr. Brian. Yeah. So what is the, what is the dark side of, um, of artificial intelligence and we we touched on some of it but let's talk about some of the the general ones <clears throat> i think there's already evidence that that the the labor market is going to change pretty fundamentally um with with the continued evolution of ai we're already seeing some of it where automated systems are answering phones um Many of our members were upset over the demise of 411 or the the demise in some locations of 411. And that's happened as a direct result of changes in access or changes in technology, which have rendered access to information so much less necessary for anyone who is computer literate. Um, it's just as easy and probably easier for people who are blind to get phone numbers using the internet 
than it is trying to use the information system, which 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 was one of the earliest <clears throat> players in artificial intelligence and really hasn't caught up and and I don't think is worth the expenditure. So I think that's one of the dark sides for for blind people. Would you agree with that, Mr. Bryan? There is no doubt that there's major, major uh, labor shifts that are already happening yep. and are going to accelerate as a result of this. Uh, in the show a couple of weeks ago, um, I had you define Luddite. Yes. Uh, again, one of those major labor shifts that happened. Uh, people who felt that Machines were going to uh, start doing everything, and we're talking about mechanical machines here. Yes, are starting to going to start to do everything, so there wasn't going to be things for just general everyday laborers to do anymore. Um, and you know, it, it, this is the nature of humanity that there are disruptive industries, uh, uh -huh. concepts that come out and just change change everything. The difference this time, though, and everybody says, oh, but this time it's different. The difference this time, though, is, once again, how fast it's happening. Uh, the second is um, the people that are being displaced, we don't see where they're going to go when they're yep. displaced. Uh, yeah. There was other, uh, if you will, unskilled or low-skilled labor opportunities, you know, in town at the factories. Uh, but if you take a look at the Rust Belt, you know that at some point, uh, the laborers there found themselves without employment. Uh, and not just without employment, but without well-paid employment big 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 changes sure and and essentially what what we moved from was an economy based on manufacturing to an economy that was very much based on the delivery of services or the service economy as we've called it <clears throat> but that service economy is continuing to grow um while a, a lot of the other economies are actually oddly enough growing um but growing in in new and uncomfortable ways so um a larger and larger number of people in the manufacturing sectors sectors are recognizing that they can actually accomplish more by using robots instead of people um and and that revolution is well underway and it, and, and it will become <clears throat> I think much more widespread over the next 10 to 20 years, precisely because the capacity of robots to do complex tasks will actually increase with, with, uh, with the continued evolution of, um, of large data artificial intelligence systems. So, um, and, and it's not just this AI that we're talking about today. It's the very fact that one can collect such data. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, an employer, uh, a company can say, well, uh, using what data we had about an all human 
workforce uh, in our, oh, let's say in our warehouses, I'll use that as an example, mm-hmm. uh, that they have data that shows that a machine is much less likely to be hurt in such a way doing this kind of work. And therefore, even though it's more expensive to buy the machine, it's less expensive to retain the machine. Yeah, uh, the machine doesn't need healthcare. Uh, yes, you know, probably you can buy a you know extended service contract uh, on the machine, <laughs> but that strikes me as significantly easier to pull off. Uh, and again, they've got the data now, enough data to know the difference between the two. Right now, if data was the only thing pushing it, we'd already have those self-driving vehicles because sure. statistics are overwhelmingly that the existing, just the existing technologies are safer for a uh, self-driving vehicle than a human driving vehicle. Before we lose just sight of, of the, yeah, before we lose sight of the whole worker um, management relationship, <clears throat> one of the interesting changes, which appears to be different um, between the United States and, let's say, Europe, Europe at the moment is is in the midst of huge numbers of strikes for a variety of reasons. Um, and while there's certainly been the threat of a rail strike here in the United States, for the most part, the power of unions are far lower. And one would and 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 one knows that one of two things is likely to happen in, in the case of let's let's take a large employer like Amazon, where there have actually been some efforts um, to unionize. You know, in a couple of cases, they've been successful. For the most part, they've persuaded people um, that unions are not to their advantage. And I guess one of the things that I believe is going to happen is the power of the trade unions is, are going to continue to decline over the next 30 to 50 years. Do you concur with that, Brian? Uh, I think it's one of those things that uh, heads and tails. Yeah. It's equally possible that labor, because there's transition time here, sure. and if labor were to organize, they could very easily shut down businesses for an extended period of time that would cause them to you know make that break even point for the company going to computer or going to robots uh a longer window to recoup the investment of these kinds of things yes yes i i think there's 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 both of those things are possible uh but I'm but trying I think to be if, a half yeah. glass half full guy, you, and you're you are. a glass half empty guy. I am, I am, be, be, because I believe that in the long run, we're we are going to get to the place because because globalization has to a degree collapsed, and because large scale um, large scale economic entities are in competition around the world. Um, that there is a higher likelihood that people are going to have to deal with the lowest costs that they can manage, which is going to mean two things in terms of manufacturing, at least seems to me. 
one of one of those things is the the increasing use of robots and the um, the relative lessening of therefore the power of trade unions. But the other thing that 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 I think is almost certainly going to happen, um, uh, whether whether we like it or not, um, is I think there's going to be there's going to be much more competition um, between uh, the the large manufacturing entities, and I'm thinking in particular between China and the United States, in terms of uh, who is going to be able to um, to sell products um, to the rest of the world most easily, and I think that's still very much an open question. Huge ones, and uh, there's so many side issues to what you were mm-hmm. just describing. There's no question that the that globalization uh, for some time now has meant that uh, you go where the labor is cheap. Yep, uh, and that ain't here in the U.S. Nope. of A. It aren't. However, it aren't. however, when you only compare the cost of labor, you forget about the other costs of that product if it's bought by a citizen in the united states from a company that made it in the united states the shipping costs are dramatically less expensive yep for that product the cost of raw materials in china are the same as they are in the united states overall yep yep the i same. agree yep. but the costs of not only transportation but tariffs added to that transport added to that product not only tariffs on the end product but tariff on on the the materials as well on the materials to make those products yeah so it's actually pretty much a the, the labor issue is less uh, now than in the heyday where things were done offshore because it was cheaper because labor was cheaper. Labor is a smaller part of the overall cost of products now. And that's going to continue to be the case as a result of robotics and AI, no question. Right. And and what I was implying was, in fact, that globalization is is less operant than it was, say, fifteen or twenty years ago, um, and and therefore there's a lot more competition and a lot more tariffs, and that's only going to get worse um, because I I don't see I don't see any way that we're going to see um, various parts of the world. Um, coming together to, to optimize levels of trade and levels of tariffs in the way that they did 20 or 30 years ago. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, right now, <clears throat> the U.S. has just passed a bill, which was signed by the president, um, that will provide huge incentives for people to build uh, plants to produce computer chips in the United States. Um Whereas in the past they've been bought either in Hong Kong or in China or in Taiwan, but certainly Apple not. Apple has just yep. 
has engaged in a number of things uh, because COVID also hit in the middle of all of this. Sure. And as a result, their inexpensive uh, cost-saving effort to manufacture your iPhone uh, has just gone right out the window. So they are desperately reinventing themselves for more domestic uh, manufacturing yep, uh, and, and all the components that that means. It's not like you can go out and dust off a, a plant that did car assembly, auto assembly, and turn it into a place that does computer chips. Nope. No way. It has to be built from the ground up. Um, and and that takes time, but it, it's literally changing the landscape uh, of all of that process. So we've got the labor issue, and I, I yep. don't deny that uh, it is a precarious situation uh, as we need uh, either low or mid-range skills workers to find some employment when they're displaced by system change. Think about all those people who yeah. used to work in the uh, video rental stores. Gone away. Gone away. The world didn't come to an end. Uh, or or, those or people, CD stores, music record stores, for the most part, yeah. gone away. Like with the warehouse. The, the, yeah, the mar- yep. yeah, Radio Shack. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Exactly. There are there's system change that happens. Part of that is, well, we're we're kind of breaking the back on several things we thought would never change, and they are. The music industry is an example of that. I highly doubt that anybody who entered the music industry thirty years ago would realize that most people are consuming their music digitally online, not by buying albums, but by buying songs or renting them is a better way to describe it. Because without the system where they're keeping the original, you wouldn't have access uh, to it in that way. Right now I have Apple Music, I have Amazon Music and I have YouTube Music. Pardon me. Hang up. Yep. I used the, that word in my, my space here. Anyway, so again, anybody who thinks that things, that this is the thing that's disruptive, uh, how are malls doing where you live, Paul? Well, it, it, there, there are some interesting developments. One of them is that indoor malls appear to have completely gone away. Um, and and while the the outdoor strip malls appear to be surviving better, um, I have been absolutely shocked at the degree to which, um, since I moved up to Jacksonville, virtually all of the indoor malls that I knew have been repurposed to other things like like hospitals, like vaccination centers, and and a range of other things, but not malls anymore. 
Right. Malls have been turned uh, either into ghost towns waiting for somebody to buy them and repurpose them. Mm-hmm. Or they've even been turned into enclaves. Yes. So uh, where the inner mall, covered mall, is like your town uh, center town green yep. kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's housing and it's smaller, but more variety of small businesses within that. So you don't have to leave the mall. You, you go to work upstairs, you live in mid-steps, mid-levels, and you do your shopping and interacting and promenading, if you will, uh, on the first floor. And go to the movies there, even, too. Yeah, you don't have to go outside. Yeah. Well, there's two major malls here in Watertown that are going through that. So there are changes that are simply happening as a result of some things we can control and th- some things we can't. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, Moore's Law, where yes. everything is going to double within a certain period of time. And then that will double on itself, and that will double on itself. Yeah. Every, all, every, I think it's every three years, Brian. It's every either two or three it, years. It's it very rapid. Was, and it held steady at that for a number of years, but not over the last three years. Now it's taking less and less time for things to double. They're still doubling, but less and less time for that to happen. So we're people, you know, where this whole AI sneaking up on us, it didn't, it didn't, you may not have been looking in that particular quadrant of your world, but it's happening all around you. Uh, And it's going to have a number of spillover kinds of effects. Labor being one of them, housing being a number, a, a second one, Try to buy a home or try to sell a new home today that doesn't include a home office. Not that third bedroom, but a home office. Oh, I get you. No home, no home office, no sale. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a huge thing. Uh, also. And, and, and by the way, that's, a, that's another development that we can add to our list of perhaps downsides that COVID has encouraged a lot more people to work at home. And what this has resulted in among other things is there, there are fewer people out on the road going to high streets and going to downtown areas. So a lot of the retail operations, uh, which are, are, we're trying to make it um, after COVID have ended up having to close down because there's simply not enough business for them. Yes. Um, we saw a huge increase in buying online. Yep. Uh, we got used to it when, when it was the safe thing to do. Yes. But you can't put that genie back in the bottle. You cannot. Very, very difficult to do that. So it yeah. changes the whole concept of marketing and, yep. Yep. and the like. Sort right of like now, hybrid I, I, conventions. 
Yeah, like that. Exactly. <laughs> well, today, today, I've had three deliveries. Mm-hmm. Three different uh, box trucks of one kind or another have stopped in front of my home to drop off a little something. As small as something that weighed three ounces. Yep. And as large as, well, we bought cat litter and dog food uh, from Chewy. And, you know, yep. that was a lot of weight to that. How much Boy. did I pay for shipping? Nothing. 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 But you know that model can't can't sustain itself. There's a cost to shipping. Uh, so, what was it? Uh, there's just so many aspects of this uh, perfect storm we find ourselves in. AI being part of the storm. I happen to be one who thinks that AI is part of the answer to the storm. But I yep. don't doubt that there will be some really rocky times uh, as this uh, occurs around us. So labor, so, housing, yep. what else? So let's, let's pause for a second and see whether any of our other three folks have anything they want to add in this area. Miss Marianne? Not yet, Paul. Not Very yet. good. Mr. Rick? Because I know you're going to leave soon. No, I'm good, Paul. Thank you. Welcome. And last chance, Lair. I I just think that what Brian said is is absolutely true. You know, one one issue that we don't even think about hinges on so many others. And I don't know. Yep. I don't know yet what's going to happen. I think he's absolutely correct that, especially as it relates to shipping, that can't sustain itself. There are so many things that are interdependent on other things. Yes. And that's yep. the part that scares me unless we have solutions to say, oh, well, then let's just do this. But we seemingly are just kind of letting it happen. And I don't know yet if that's a good thing because this is brand new territory. And, so we said, what, what place ahead, does the concept of things being controlled by government versus things being controlled by corporate versus things being controlled centrally or decentralized control. I mean, these are things man has dealt with from the beginning as we went from, you know, hunter-gatherers to uh, village dwellers to city dwellers to people who used to take months to go from England to the United States. And now people get frustrated if it takes more than five hours to do it. So our expectations have grown uh, hugely during all of these transformative times. When people buy based exclusively on price, we get to where everything becomes commodity-based. My sis, at Christmas time, how many things did you see people exchange that either, one, they really didn't need or want or could afford to gift or receive those gifts? And how much of that 
is driven by societal demands and who's making us want what it is we want. I just find it amazing how, uh, when I say our culture, I'm not just talking the United States. I'm I'm really talking about all the world's cultures are very much in to one kind of thing. And I'm pretty convinced that they're going to be shifting to other kinds of things. Back to AI in that the idea of uh, virtual reality uh, enhanced and really only made possible through AI. Uh, and how much of your recreation time is online versus uh, out there exploring good, nature, all that kind of stuff, you know? That's, that's another really good question, Brian. Um, it's it's another of the changes. Now, let's focus a little bit more on impact on blind people themselves. Brian, does does this does this move to doing more online if we accept that it's real and less in in the big bad world uh, a good thing for blind people or a bad one? Well, when it comes to the labor side of things. Yes, there's a downside. There's yes. an upside in that one of the biggest hurdles to employment for blind people is transportation to get to and from work. Big, huge, huge sure. issue. This is less an issue when you can work from home. Uh, in addition, uh, you can, instead of expecting to have to have a job and, uh, with one employer, you can have a kind of a gig-based uh, work portfolio, where on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you work for this guy, and on Wednesday and Friday, you work for that one. And because you're the primary caregiver to your children, uh, you can work split hours much, much, much easier. So there's a number of things where it should benefit blind people. The other thing is, you know, rehabilitation in this country has almost, with just one exception, uh, been all about becoming employed or selling your services as an employee to an employer, not small business, not be your own boss kind of activities part of that was because rehab saw value and i i do to some degree of integrating blind people in with non-blind people uh in the workplace but it's also become a huge downside when uh talking about this working from home you're not working with non-disabled people you're working with yourself unless they're willing to change the definition of what an integrated workplace is. So I would say generally for overall employment, uh, and for that matter, overall uh, lifelong learning to remain employable, I think it's 
yeah, this whole process of what AI AI brings to things uh, bodes well for blind employment. Uh, I. I, I think I'm on the other side of the fence for the most part. Uh, yeah, not, not at all. <laughs> Go ahead. <clears throat> so the first thing is, uh, I, I guess that my knowledge is more anecdotal than absolute, but, but I am prepared to stake a pretty large sum of money that the fastest growing job sector for the employment of people who are blind um, is call centers. Um, and so I think one of the questions that we have to ask, since they have become um, such such a large employment component, is what's going to happen to call centers down the road? Um, we've we've already talked about the degree to which, in a lot of the more uh, the the simpler systems. Um, those call centers are now being manned by artificial intelligence and synthetic speech. Um, I see, I see that trend spreading much further with a much smaller number of actual employees being required to handle stuff in, in job centers. Um, I think that to take simply one, one example that everybody will probably know about, for the last five years or so, annoying though it is, if you want to make reservations in Amtrak, unless you're prepared to um, to get very noisy and very angry with the system, you had best make up your mind that you're going to make those reservations with uh, artificial intelligence and uh, and synthetic speech. Um, and and overall, I would say that it works about sixty-five or seventy percent of the time well. Um, but but it, I think that's going to become much more much more the norm. I think <clears throat> I think the second thing that's going to happen with blind employment is I I think there is and and you may well disagree with this, Brian. But, but I think there is less willingness on the part of entities um, to alter um, their computer systems um, in, in, in ways that will continue to make them accessible to folks who are blind. And that means that I perceive, at least over the, next, over the short run, and I'll come to the long run in a second, in the short run, I perceive actually things becoming less accessible for, for working at home for folks who are blind because of the, the way that technologies are changing. In the long run, um, I, I, I think we're going to get to a place where, where, and we talked about this some last week, where, where the actual internet itself and the difficulties that the internet operates with will disappear because either we'll have um, stuff that's installed in our heads or else we will have AI systems that we can talk to and get answers back in terms of speech as well. But, but in the short run, I think there's going to be, there's going to be huge difficulties in maintaining um, computer access for blind and visually impaired people. Let me give you a chance to respond to those few things, Mr. Bryan. Okay, um, 
I, at one point in my professional career, visited lots of different kinds of call centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that was almost universal is that a blind person, when sitting at a, a desk or in a cubicle in a call center, a physical call center, um, there was components of their jobs that they couldn't do and components of the job they could do very well. And only through job sharing, where employee A really was good at the email side of things, while employee B couldn't do that for nothing. But boy, they were sure good at at looking up information, whatever it might be. So instead of having one employee do, or each of those employees doing both things, they share from their strengths. Uh, to their weakness and that was all fine and good and then the tech guys updated one thing yep updated one thing and because it was a closed system uh that one thing made people uh less and less capable of doing what they could do yesterday uh and they didn't have any way of knowing in advance the bigger the company that this change was on the way. It just arrived on Monday morning. Uh, and even the companies themselves, because they're reliant on other companies to have some of the underpinnings of things, didn't know that, yep. oh, our subcontractor made this change and now it's, you know, what can we do? And while there are requirements for accessibility, they are complaint driven yep and they also um how do i put it it lends itself to to accommodations that are just ridiculous yes so blind, i have a i have a blind employee who has a full-time sighted assistant assistant to do his job with him a screen reader and- can't read the screens uh, effectively, you know, there's such a difference between accessible and usable, but uh, yeah. nonetheless, that is considered a, quote, reasonable accommodation. And these things build one on top of the other over time. So they I do. would say I am more comfortable relying on that PC across the room from me right now, where I say when it updates itself on things. Even on my iPhone, I do not have automatic updates turned on. You, you uh, just to, you, you you just you just lack a sense of adventure, Brian. That's what it is. Yeah. Well I don't <laughs> want to be dependent on something to turn it on tomorrow and it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I never do version something but, point zero of but anything. Isn't, so isn't the that technology I can control. Right. I can't control but, the computer at work. But isn't the conclusion that that is is really the only one we can take from what you've just said that once you move telephone call centers home as as 
they virtually all are now, once you move them home, the likelihood is that you're not going to have that ability to job share nearly so easily. And therefore, um, blind people aren't going to be able to do the jobs and they're not going to as often get them. I think rather than that, that job sharing is becoming a component of mainstream, not accommodation. Got it. Uh, and I think that that's, that, again, speaks, speaks well for us. Right. There are, there's another AI thing that's happening in this space. You know, you can hear the city of Watertown uses a service that overlays their websites, all of their web indexes mm-hmm. that make that you are accessible, their services accessible without having them go in and rewrite the code the way it should have been written in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's happening as a result of what? Artificial intelligence. Sure. Uh, yep, no no question. So under those circumstances, I would I would easily argue that in fact uh, still from a labor perspective, I always wanted to work for myself. And the only way rehab ever supported that was when I was a Randolph Shepherd vendor. Uh-huh. Only time. And even then, most vendors are more like franchisees without a uh, equity. Sure. In in what they have. Um, so. <laughs> There's all those kinds of things. So I honestly think that while there will be rough patches, that AI will improve the employment opportunities for blind and visually impaired people. But rehab has got to stop thinking that the only way that they can economically achieve greater employment is to go to a single employer and see if they can get twenty slots. Yep, uh, I would, I would, I would agree with all of those things. So, a few other, a few other downsides, at least as I perceive it, in terms of, um, in in terms of uh, the new AI and blind folks. I think, uh, I I think that there is going to be a, an increasing requirement for a wide range of skills um, technologically that it seems to me a lot of blind people don't have. And, and by that, to, to take the, to take the simplest example, I, th- I think it's fine for that blind people know how to use a word processor and, and many blind people can make that word processor produce good documents. And there are certainly ways that they can make that happen. But they also now need to, uh, in in a lot of employment, particularly in the private sector, um, be able to handle things like Twitter and Facebook and other multimedia entities 
um, in order to adequately do their job and maintain the position that they often need to uh, on the internet. And it's my opinion, and I would, I would certainly encourage other people who are listening um, to call in and tell me I'm wrong that most blind people don't have enough broad, broad based training to handle the kind of generalist approach to technology that AI is increasingly requiring. Disagree, Mr. Ryan? Of course I do. <laughs> so, how do you explain? How do you explain this, Lucy? Uh, that ability. Again, we were talking about um, disruptive change. Uh, sure. When I, my generation, tended to find employment and stay with it. Yes. You were successful if you could land a job and retire in that job. Uh, That hasn't been the case for a number of years now. Uh, You know, the higher up the skill set you have, the more likely it is that you're going to move from job to job, not because you're a bad employee, but because there's always greener pastures. But... The people who really succeed are the people who spend part of every day learning to do things they don't already know how to do. Yeah, I I, I would absolutely agree with that. Okay, so under those circumstances, then, um, part of what can happen as a result of AI and that cross-skills we need to make commitments, both within the blindness system and us as individuals, to lifelong learning. Yes. Not I want to grow up to be a whatever, but lifelong learning. I know the job I have is going to require that I learn in advance of needing to know something else. Yeah. That, got to that, be a head of that curve yeah i mean we don't we don't disagree on any of this i i just i just think that an awful lot of blind people at the moment don't have that mindset and and aren't it and it drives me crazy paul it drives me up the wall people say oh i can use a computer but they only know how to use a computer very very narrow correct list of things partly because they were taught step by step how to do something you're absolutely Rather correct. Rather than by concept. I remember and, and I comment at some point. To use tech. Go ahead. I remember. Sorry. I remember when I first started working at Marriott as a as a, an agent before I got promoted. Um, mm-hmm. I was involved not in the hiring, but but they would ask me questions about people who used, for instance, Jaws, because that's what the center used. And I said, "Don't hire somebody." if they don't know how to use JAWS. Because what you're going to wind up doing is teaching them JAWS plus everything about the product that we're using and that we use in terms of the reservation system. They have to have a fundamental knowledge of those skills in terms of how to operate a computer and JAWS. You can't teach them both. 
and they found yeah. out rather quickly that that they kept a lot more people if you had a, a minimum standard in terms of at least knowing what Jaws was all about, knowing how to navigate throughout. Uh, and it was fascinating just to watch the level of skill, skill level of the people they hired after that point. Yes, yeah. ab- absolutely. And those people who are Jaws have un- a fundamental understanding of how something like a Jaws works. Means when there's a little wrinkle in the system, they are more likely to find a workaround. Absolutely. Right. And, or whatever and, and that wrinkle is. And, and that's the point that I was going to make. I think what, what rehab is not doing or what, what we're not tending to do is to teach people how to problem solve. Um, you know, in the, the course that we ran at Miami-Dade, uh, everybody knew right from the first day of class that on the last on the last day in their final exam, they were going to be given a problem that they were required to show me how they were going to solve. Uh, and if they couldn't do it, they weren't going to pass the class because that was worth 50% of the final marks. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the rehab system has to realize yes. that to keep a blind person employable, you have to invest over and over again in training training in the fundamentals of the method by which that individual uh interacts with technology whether it's speech braille large whatever it might be right right uh i also think however the individual has to do that when the when a good teacher doesn't stop learning a good teacher, you know, people talk, well, oh, I'd love to be a teacher. You, you get off at three in the afternoon or whatever. No, they don't. Not no. the good ones. <laughs> the good ones are cracking the books in the evening, uh, trying new ideas and all that kind of stuff. It's part of the job. Well, I don't think it's a part of the job. I think it's a part of employment in today and into the future. I think, sadly, what happens, what I have seen anyway in my many travels and many organizations that I belong to are the people who lose their vision later in life who were like really productive. I, we have members, I have a member in my, in our council who was a, a registered nurse. Um, just people who lose their vision later in life in their forties, fifties, they're the ones who are paralyzed and um, have the hardest time. Um, I, I'm playing good cop here. I have like a lot of empathy for those people. Um, it's Me very too. hard for them to to readjust to sure. learning that that skill, the listening skill, the typing without seeing yeah. skill. It's it's a big big deal. Yeah, I I don't disagree at all. Um, the other. Part of that, Marianne, I think, is that um, statistics uh, suggest that the best way for somebody who is losing or loses their vision during their working years is to not leave the job they have, but to try to adapt 
in place, not to step away and, you know, Again, sometimes it's really hard. Yeah, sometimes it's really hard to do in the midst of learning. I mean, they have no skills. That essentially they have no skills. Um, You know, I look at some of them, and I think you know, there's a very few that step up and say, "I have one girlfriend who's losing her vision to RP, who began right away doing things in the dark and using her cane and." Um, really stepped up to it. But I know many more people who just get paralyzed by the blindness. And, you know, and and I don't think our, I don't think all of our lighthouses are as good as yours, Paul, because I've seen that too. And where do they go? Yeah. Mine, mine was a, was student services at a college. Okay. Um, So, but even very different. Right. But I, I, I think, lighthouses are not doing as well as they should they are particularly not. for older blind people who are trying to adjust to blindness because because they essentially have no funds. A, a four week six week eight week period right. where they're supposed to cram in all the training right um you know we're we are in the process of putting together a grant that will actually create some online resources and some uh, and also some telephone-based resources for seniors who are blind as a as a project that's sponsored by the Division of Blind Services Foundation. Um, and, and I'm excited about this because I think, uh, uh, you know, the demand actually came from blind people who were seniors. And the guy who primarily pushed this is a guy who's, who's um, 94 years old now. And essentially he said, there's just not enough training available for us older people. Mm-hmm. And and in the tech, technological world we live in, if we don't have that training, we're, we're sunk. Yeah. And he's right. Mm-hmm. And the definition of working age is growing so quickly, partly out of financial necessity of people uh-huh. who don't have enough to money set aside to not work Uh, they financially have to continue working and yet that's exactly when their vision is is becoming a huge obstacle uh a good old good old definitions of things aren't changing rapidly enough for uh, dealing with the reality of things you know a lot of people who are elders who thought they were going to retire but couldn't afford to do so, are doing jobs like, you know, the greeter at uh, Wall Walmart, <clears throat> that kind of thing. Uh, the last five times I went to a grocery store, the bagger was older than me. <laughs> it was part-time labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, they didn't have, have to have skills other than being pleasant and uh, being able to lift a bag of groceries. Uh, So, you know, how does a person who's losing their vision find a place? I know of a couple of blind people who are greeters at Walmart, that kind of a a place. Right. Those jobs are few and far between uh, overall. So, yeah, there is that problem there's also this i believe it to be a myth 
which we are fed from infancy, that you can't teach old dogs new tricks. Yeah. I do not yeah. believe that that is true. I just, I just do not. In when I worked, age, when I worked as a, as a rehab teacher, you know, I had, I had uh, folks in their eighties who were quite comfortable learning grade two braille, not, yeah. not huge numbers of them, but they could certainly do it if they were motivated to. Yeah, I've seen um, so, I've seen both sides of the coin. I've seen yep. total paralysis with their blindness, and I've seen you know yep. I'm just going to lick this. Yep, yep. it's it's but um, again, it's it, it's it's as much. When I say attitude, I, you know, it's kind of like the uh, do you have a choice to be gay or is it in in your biology, so to speak? Uh, I think too many people drank the Kool Aid to say that. The older I get, the harder it is for me to learn these things. Well, there, there may be some biological truth to that in general, but does it apply to you as an individual? And if you buy into, oh, I can't possibly do da-da-da, well, how do you know that, it's, it's that, impossible well, for you to do that? But if yeah. you say it and you believe it, then you can't. I mean, yeah. and, and I don't even know, it's see a that as much as... Prophecy. It is. I don't see that as much as terror. It's not even yes, like they don't want to learn. Yeah. It's terror. I, yes. I want to see, see a lot of times. So You want to see somebody in terror. Take a sighted person who's worked in the blindness system professionally who loses their vision. Yeah, well. All, all their training lives, they've tried to convince blind people they're capable. But now that they are one, just knock the wheels right out of yeah. out of under them. So it's it's one of those things that um, getting back to the good old topic of AI uh, that I think AI can do this idea of a lack of available training is not just a matter of uh, giving somebody a URL uh, to go to. To learn. Right. It's these systems feel like they're getting one-on-one -on -one attention yes. from a human being and not I, something, quite honestly, that could be affordable. So I think we have I think we have a lot more work to do in that regard. And I also think, and I and, and I will absolutely give you this, Brian, that there will come a time when AI will be strong enough that it will actually provide these one-on-one -on -one training opportunities for free that we're talking about and mm -hmm. and that they will be perfectly able to mediate as as pure ai with only with only human intervention very occasionally when there's an issue with the idea of ai being 100 percent independent it's right. artificial intelligence it's not artificial independent Right. Everybody knows that you can ask chat GPT a question and get a rather cogent answer, but you have to learn how to ask the question to get anything close to what it is you want to know. Correct. And it, you need to, you know, trust but verify what information it's giving you. And that means that maybe a hundred Blind elders can get what they need 
from one rehab teacher. Sure, but I would uh, suggest I would suggest to you, Mr. Bryant, that in in the past ten years we've gone from from a place where really there wasn't enough aggregated data and 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 there 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 wasn't enough opportunity for artificial intelligence to test that aggregated data so that the likelihood was extremely strong that fairly early on in the process of 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 iterating questions and answers or of handling um natural language interaction with with anybody um the ais would crash and burn i i would suggest to you now that there's that 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 has probably been the biggest change that has occurred in the last decade. That is the degree to which um, AI is now more capable of parsing decision trees and coming up with uh, with answers that are much more likely to be correct than they ever have been in the past. And and I would suggest that we are still at the threshold of big data analysis and AI. So that ten years or twenty years from now, the degree to which AI will handle nat- natural speech interaction and will be able to handle pretty complicated decision trees is virtually certain. No question in my mind about that. I was uh, doing some more reading and research and the like on things <clears throat> recently, and stumbled across a guy who wrote a <clears throat> pardon me a uh, a routine for Siri uh, a template <clears throat> and he was able to get Siri to respond to the following Siri ask AI uh, how um cells divide and give me the answer so that a 10 year old would understand it and it does yep all you do so you've got a speech interface siri that's asking ai a question and then coming back with the ai answer for you so pr it's not that it someday it's yesterday yep that that was accomplished but uh, it's, the other it's, thing is <clears throat> it's going to get a lot better oh it will get better because <clears throat> the more we use it the more we're training the systems correct <laughs> you know and and, um, and that's a, what was that's it echo asked me this difference. morning yeah i'm trying to learn voices it says uh am i speaking with brian and I said, yes. Uh-huh. And it's now doing a similar thing with the other members of my household. Yep. So that it will respond to your past interaction with it to become more and more adapted to what you do rather than you having to adapt to how it does it. Big difference, those two. Big, big difference. Yep. Couldn't agree more. <clears throat> A couple of other so, dark side things. Uh, Marianne, do we yes. have do we have hands? Up? You have a hand, yes. Good. Let's, let's Casey has their hand raised. Casey's hand hey. is raised. Hey, Casey. Casey. Hi, 
Okay, here we go. There you go. Hey, Casey. Hey. Well, I, there's a lot of things I agree with both of you about on both sides. But I think there's one thing that, there's a couple things. Before we get to the, you know, the 20 years of, uh, that you're talking about down the road where the speech works and you can do all these things. Yep. We are in a place, at least some of us are in Michigan, where boards are AI. Your portals, you're, they're using, like in some of our housing units are using online property management. So you can't talk to boards. You can't. Yep. You have to write into them, and they're not accessible. Nope. So, and um, there were two other people who in our affiliate that I talked to about this, and they both said, "Well, I don't care about that. I use Ira." And the other said, "I'm I'm scared to make a complaint or or, or, or make this request because you know I've never done it before." So we're talking about all these big things on on the horizon, but how are we going to support and encourage persons in our membership to ask and stand up for what they really need without being maligned or without being, I mean, we have a, a trans young community that thinks that we're all, because if we ask for something that we're going to sue or that we're dangerous people. Yeah. So we have to figure out how do we advocate? How do we get around that? How do we encourage our membership to move forward uh, so that we don't get stuck in the AI stuff and get left behind and, and out of commission? I think, think that's a really good question. I'll let Brian start off and then I'll add what he, what yeah, perhaps a couple of other things. My success in this kind of space has almost exclusively been through structured negotiation. Uh, I just signed a document yesterday for a settlement with um, the credit reporting services, all of them. And they have made substantial changes in the accessibility of their content. But more important to me the, about what they've done is what they've committed to continue to do, including a monitoring process so that as they make alterations to their system, we will be monitoring it before it's implemented. We get a sandbox account in the new environment to play around with. And it's not just Brian the volunteer, it's Brian the expert consultant working with them. So it's, it's good for business and it's good for us in the process. So number one, I'm a big, big believer in that. Uh, I have been the litigant in suits, but uh, the ACB culture has traditionally been try everything you can do before you uh, get all legal on people. But that's not necessarily the business's com uh, thought about what people with disabilities are. We are potentially a, a huge financial sink in terms of legal wrangling. So that's why structured negotiation frequently works is because the business doesn't say, oh, we're going to start to do the right thing. It's this will be a less expensive approach than the courts. 
So I would say that's number one. And we, we constantly are talking about this through ACB. Uh, and, and again, I think that it's a growing thing. But my friend, Lainey Feingold, who really kind of started this whole business, is doing what I did three years ago. She's in the process of retiring. She's only taking on things that that she finds personally interesting rather than what's happening at a at a at a housing environment in Michigan. You know, it has to be more global for her to want to do it into the evening. But she has made a real point of training people in this. So it's passing that idea on. That's that's one thing I would put into the mix. How about you, Paul? I I have I have a little more sympathy, I think, with um, with the point that Casey makes, and and I feel that um, while structured negotiations can work in in some occasions, um, they only work if the parameters for structured negotiations are right. That is, if the companies are large enough that you can effectively negotiate with them. Um, if there's an opportunity for the folks who are engaging in structured negotiations to find a way that they can not only get a problem solved, but also, uh, but, but also monetize something out of that system. So for the simple problems that Casey's talking about, um, in Michigan, problems like, um, portals on apartment complexes, which I dealt with for a year and a half last year. And, um, portals, um, in medical offices and those kinds of things. Um, my experience is that, is that we don't have enough information out there to help individuals know what some step by step solutions are. And, and I would encourage ACB to put some of them out there. Um, I, I think the first thing that you do, um, is and I did this with the apartment portals last year. I said these portals are not accessible, and I went to the office and I said, um, "I live by myself. These portals aren't accessible. What should I do about it?" And and essentially they said, "Well, if you want, you can come down here, and we'll help you do all the stuff that you need to do." And I said, "That's not a solution for me." Um, because I should have the right, A, to keep my information private when you want me to pay you rent every month. But B, uh, and more importantly, the whole issue for people with disabilities is to be able to do things privately and independently and on their own. And therefore, <clears throat> I think that you need to make some changes in the way that you run all of the things that you are that you're putting out for your your customers in ways that are in fact accessible and and some changes were made they were still far from accessible but i think one of the points that casey is making is how ubiquitous that stuff is becoming because if we just take the apartment complex i was in you had an element for paying rent you had an element for sharing community events you had an element for dealing with um for dealing with buying and selling things. You had a, a, a sort of a, an email apartment tenants um, concept. You had all kinds of information about 
opportunities that local restaurants were offering if you were a part of that apartment system. And all of those things were flat out inaccessible. Um, and I literally, without the help of my daughter, um, could not be checking in for appointments because the portals that my folks are using are inaccessible. Now I've told them that and I've said that I love them as doctors but that I think they have an obligation to do something about making their portal accessible so I can use it when I want to. Um, how successful I'll be is another question, but we'll see. Yeah, that, that's good information. I, but I, I think to, to make the assumption that everybody can afford IRA or any of these things that can, that can yep. work to a point <clears throat> doesn't serve most of the blind community unless – the state and federal government, states and federal government are going to fund this kind of stuff. Um, well, and, and that's been an interesting question because there, there have been a lot of people who have said that one of the developments that could occur in terms of rehabilitation is is uh, precisely that, that the federal government will give everybody IRA and say, now you're on your own. Yeah, uh, and I think, I, I guess part of my point is if we want to get to the point where Blind people do training, the right training for technology, where we get to AI to the point where you can actually talk to and have an AI conversation like yep. you and I are having now. Before we can even expect real success from the blind community, we have to make sure they can live and do an everyday, everyday task with their lives. Right. Personalized before you can get them to be really successful employer. Right. And, and and I think that's the point. It all speaks to the same issue that we've been talking about really all night, Casey, and that is the fact that we're going to have to find more innovative ways of providing training. You know, I think ACB thought their community calls for that innovative approach. I'm not sure I'm not sure that they are for loads of people. I think uh, we're going to be experimenting in Florida, I think, with some uh, with some classes that will initially be taught in person and then videoed and put online. We'll see if those work better. Um, but uh, again, we're going to try to make some of those accessible by phone for the people who don't have computers at all. So a person can call up and and we're, we're hoping to develop maybe 50 or so um, five-minute um, brief instructions for doing, you know, a hundred different things, um, and and make those available for as simple phone calls, step by step instructions to um, delete an email. What about podcasts a- that then Alexa don't talk that our <laughs> a lady can can access? Like you can say, play the such and such podcast and get that information. Wouldn't that be a great way to connect blind people I, to I, their? Com- I think it might. And and you know, one of the things that 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 I've at least been thinking a lot about. And Brian, you can talk about this. It doesn't have a lot. Well, it does sort of have to do with AI. Is <clears throat> How much would we actually be solving the communication problems for ACB for those folks who don't have computers and who don't have emails by providing uh, an A person uh, for each of them? Yeah. And, and, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, and and I was going to just say that um, if you could 
you if if in the future the the a person could be used to teach you know if you were sitting at your computer you were given right. you had this computer and the a person's there in the background and she's teaching you i mean if you could connect the two it could be pretty powerful oh, i think you could i think you could our rehabilitation agency here in massachusetts currently provides uh a ai pardon me a <laughs> try again an People. a lady device to any client who doesn't already have one that's that's lovely that's like what 50 that's bucks. pretty cool or, or like less that. right but what's the cost of that it's not that the original buy those are lost leaders right uh, it is having to have an internet wireless capability where you yep. live that the state can't provide because they can't provide according to our state rules anyway anything that's an ongoing cost they can buy a thing you know five thousand dollar computer but they can't pay for internet connectivity no, but at least so there's makes, the Affordable Connectivity Act, and there are some there are yes. growing options for low income people to have internet. My daughter pays ten dollars a month. Well, and and there the fact go. is, and the fact is that in in Europe, certainly in a lot of countries in Europe, and absolutely in Asia, <clears throat> internet services are free and they're available everywhere. Yeah, and 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 that's a model that that i think we should seriously consider in this country even though that agree. probably goes against everything that that we stand for but mm -hmm. but that the digital divide is very real mm -hmm. um and and no, the no, and the very no and the very people who suffer the most from the digital divide are going to be the very people who will be on the dark side of ai yeah, the people who have, do not have the means to have an Irish subscription or Envision glasses or something like that. Those yeah, are the, those absolutely are, right, Mr. Dutmer, sir. You're, you're absolutely correct. Yep. There are certainly islands of such things. For example, if you step foot on the Perkins School for the Blind Campus, about 25 acres, uh, Ira is free. Yep. Yep. I know. Now it's it's not free 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 because Perkins pays an annual fee for that license. Uh, but it is. And it's amazing the blind employees on the Perkins campus all take significant advantage of that opportunity. It's not just for work. Oh no, I've used it. It's it's great for a lot of things. Right, but I'm saying that that it this plan at Perkins is any blind person, whether visiting yep. a student, an employee, to do math or to or to do uh your taxes. Doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make a difference. Here's another thing to think about that we as blind people should advocate for. And I've thought about this lots so you talk about envision glasses right they're so expensive all of those things are expensive but if a person loses their ability to walk you know they get all kinds of rehab they probably get if they want a motorized scooter or a motorized wheelchair 
those things are also expensive. But as blind people, we don't have that. We don't get, our insurance doesn't pay for rehab. And should they pay for rehab, we maybe would be able to get things like the Envision glasses or, you know, some of those other technologies um, that would help us to essentially in, in it, their own way to see again. So, uh, you know. And I think that has to do with people being willing to advocate for those things. And one of the differences that I've always said, people have asked me, what's the difference when I was young versus today, and that is that people today, a lot of things are already here, and the desire to fight for and achieve something special and great, that was a big deal in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s. Yeah. That, that whole thing has kind of lost its way because people are just trying to survive. And then you have a young generation. I've talked with other disabilities with people in their 20s, and 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 they can't deal with their own with the people that are disabled people in their generation because they have such negative, terrible thoughts about them that we didn't necessarily always experience in our generation when we were young. And it's not just up to us to um, I don't think to advocate. You think about the companies who are producing these things should get on that wagon too, saying, you know, well, you know, people who produce other types of um, devices for other types of disabilities get them paid for by insurance. Why can't we get into that whole thing? Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. But I, I think and, uh, and I of think course, ACB be, has been promoting yeah. that uh, right. as a legislative imperative for mm-hmm. a number of years. Right, dealing with low vision mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. The fear is we don't know how many people would take. I'm not saying it's a reasonable one, but it's what's used uh, to drag their feet on it is we have no way of knowing how many people are actually going to use them. And that if they get these devices, are they going to, is it going to save us money elsewhere? Because we claim that if you can be independent, you don't end up putting people in, in um, facilities. But the initiative with ACB is Medicare. I, I mean, why just right. Medicare? It, but but it's mm-hmm. a, it shouldn't be just Medicare. But right. um, there's another class of people with disabilities that are totally screwed by the system in general, and that is those with hearing loss. As, absolutely. Sensory impairments, just that, you know, not don't have the support that people with physical impairments have. So. Well, even even somebody that's blind and epileptic, I, would, I had that when I was young. I grew out of it, fortunately, but it was really tough because you it was hard to get services for if you have a different disability. And so, it, yeah, I believe all that. Of that all of this stuff. So I want to go back to the Ira thing. Paul, you talked about how you would lose privacy if you went down to the office. Uh, uh, in your, I guess it was a condo. My building. Yeah. Yep, your yep, building. Yeah. Uh, and you said, it's not fair for me to have to give up my privacy. You are, to some degree, giving up your privacy each time you dial 1 800 IRA. They know who you are. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and, you know, right now it's, it so, remains, I think, the best in the best 
available service to provide that kind of thing. And I've been a subscriber since virtually day one. I don't use it anywhere right. near as but much I, as I But it's I'm expensive. A, yeah, I'm a it subscriber. Is. I'm a subscriber, but I, I, I probably, I, maybe I'll use it once every three months. Um, and, and there's, I, I'm really just wasting my money is the truth. Um, could I find ways where, where it would benefit me? Oh, certainly. Um, no question. Um, have I found ways that, that, that I've been able to do things with Ira that I couldn't have done anywhere else? Absolutely. Are there other options that are available at less expense than Ira? Certainly there are. I mean, Be My Eyes is a good example, which, which actually doesn't cost anything. And, and which can do many of the same things as Ira can, in case you might want to recommend that to more of your folks who can't afford Ira. We do. We, we give yeah. alternatives. But one of the things that I think that in, in response to Brian's question is that when you go to an office, I had to do this in an apartment complex before, before I moved uh, here because of a fire that, in that complex that I used to live in. But... Um, when you go to an office, whether it's in a condo or apartment, and you have somebody else do it, help you, you have no way of knowing whether that's mm-hmm. confidential. And no, like you don't. In my, in my condo request uh, here, I, I made a request. I was I didn't actually make the request. I went out and sought a generator to see if I could get, how much it cost to have a generator if the power went up. Uh-huh. I never got to. I never got to get to the board because. They had a preconceived discussion that some of the board members saw the company doing the and doing the estimates. Um, so going to an office or going to a board member to, to find out and have somebody help you do something, you don't know how vulnerable you may be. With Ira, yep. at least you have somebody that's bonded and it's confidential. Yeah, I think that's I, fair. I don't, I don't disagree with that, but it's talking about the concept of. Um, I'll use voting for an example. Uh, if I used IRA to cast my ballot, is that equal to having an accessible voting machine? No. 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 And why is it not equal? Not talking about the cost. Why is it not equal? Because somebody else is seeing you vote. Exactly. <laughs> it's like having a sighted assistant. Even if they're bonded. Even if they're bonded, it mm-hmm. is not truly private no. and, and the other question is is it truly independent uh, no of course not no no so what about then and keep this in mind that that ira always intended it to go this way that ira were to be made available as a result of ai right. we have another hand uh, raised in case Good. You're would would we feel would we feel any better about that? Let's just finish with this point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> my answer, um, my answer, Brian is probably, but not enough, so it would make a huge difference because there are almost certainly going to be records of that transaction kept somewhere. The very nature of AI is information in the aggregate. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that that m- makes it uh, private. I also think 
you know, you can get a web browser. I'll take up my earphone, my Bluetooth earpieces. Powering off. One moment. Am I alive? Yes, I'm alive. You don't need to hear us. We don't need to hear us. So the other thing is uh, that with uh, artificial intelligence there, you can call on the system to be an expert at something you need it to be an expert about at that moment. So there's a, a, a line within these, what they call prompts, where you say, imagine you are a music instructor. Could you please explain uh, the use of tablature to a person who's new at playing a ukulele? And it will. Uh, and then you could say, now, here I have this book of ukulele tablature music I'd like to learn to play. Can you help me uh, access this? Yes. Uh, We're getting... <laughs> it goes on like that. It's a conversation. Yeah. And that, again, sticking with the AI thing. Right. How valuable would that be? To be able sure. to know that at any time, the person at the other end of an IRA call is an expert at what you need to know now. Yeah. So uh, the other point that I was going to make about what you were talking about is that is that we're probably at a stage where down the road and, and relatively soon, uh, we're going to be in a position where the current way that we handle security and passwords passwords will fundamentally change um and and when those changes occur um i think it's it's going to be a lot easier um and and a lot more comfortable um knowing that your information has been secured by by complex passwords um, that that are simply remembered in a broad enough number of places and are complex enough and change often enough that they're not going to be nearly so vulnerable as they are now. Yep, no question. So who's that other hand? Person? We have Ralph. Mr. Ralph. All right, Mitterman, I assume. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right, I'm on my computer this time. You know, I nice. tried to get on the fellow on my cell phone. It wouldn't let me do it for some reason. Not oh, no. It not lowered. Uh, interesting conversation about AI and IRA and all that. Uh, just as a sidebar, uh, I use seeing AI and be my eyes. And I've had very good success with using those for some low vision. So... I do have a little bit of You know, help me uh, take a picture of what I need to take a picture of to show somebody, you know, what uh -huh. is this. So I've been I've been very fortunate in that regard. But uh, would you would you be comfortable, Ralph, asking to somebody somebody on Be My Eyes or on mm -hmm. Seeing AI to help you pay a bill? Uh, no, I would not. Yeah, so 
That's the problem. A lot of people use um, IRA to pay bills, I think. Well, anytime, in my opinion, anytime you have sighted assistance, that's, you know, for example, when I go to a restaurant and I hand my credit card to the waiter or waitress, mm-hmm. I'll be back and I'll, I'll go run this call. <clears throat> they have the opportunity to write down my card number, do they not? Not that they, they will, do. but they, they have do. that opportunity. Yep. So it's a trust factor that, that falls into place. I've never had an issue. But, you know, that opportunity is there. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. So, yep. uh, you know, it's, it's a matter of do you trust the person you're dealing with or not. Mm-hmm. But yep. I, I pay most of my bills by telephone. So. Yep. I, I don't use, uh, I, I wouldn't use Iowa for that. Yep. Fair enough. Mr. Roth, thank you so much for your call, sir. Absolutely. We have yep. Kathy as her hand raised. Hey, Kathy. This is Kathy Blackburn, and I was hey. gonna, I was gonna bring up the point that Ralph just more or less that see my eyes. I'm sure they're mostly well intentioned people, and I actually have a few personal friends who are being my eyes volunteers, but mm-hmm. I would never use them for something financial. Yeah, they're just random people. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I would agree with that, Kathy. Um, are you concerned about the way AI is going? Where do you stand? Because I mean, you're pretty active. Um, one well, the one thing that y'all haven't brought up, but that could still be effective, and I could see it being used, especially. With the, I mean, they can sample a person's voice. Or some, I mean, a human could sure and, can and create deep fakes, mm-hmm. which is you know they could make you or I. We, we could, they could make us say things we never said. Oh yeah, and and they they can they can have the president of the United States declare war. Yeah, that's the scary part of it is the what they can do the deep fakes. And, and that's there. real now, Brian. Yep, sure. But in the do the use does the use of. Um, Things like um, Trojan horses and uh, that kind of thing impact your daily life now where you have to put in passwords to do things, but passwords are compromised in the millions. Uh, Financial data is compromised in the hundreds of millions Mm -hmm. of times in a given year. and yet you still do it. Your bank is still keeping your information in their computer systems. And they're spending more and more. I should say more. They're continuously updating their security. And the black hats out there are continually breaking through that security. So so uh, what's, what is your conclusion, so which, Mr. Charleston, which, sir? Well, when, when you start doing this kind of thing, uh, Ralph talked about trust. Uh, and we've been talking about uh, deep fakes. Mm-hmm. If you gave me uh, you know, 20 hours of sitting at my computer over there, I could have a deep fake of Paul Edwards 
saying virtually anything I wanted him to be saying. And all I have to have access to is what's in the public domain of pictures of Paul and of audio files with Paul's voice in it mm -hmm. and put it through the proper uh, of uh, particular few AI things as a skilled AI user <sighs> and Paul could, you know, you know, promote uh, Nazism. No problem yeah. whatsoever. No problem whatsoever. So it, it's part of this buyer beware. I mean, the idea of airbrushing a photograph is nothing new. No. Uh, so we've been altering images all along. Now it's the fact that it is uh, better. Yeah, better. But, you know, one of the things people, uh, I, again, I'm going to go back to this virus versus virus protection analogy. So as AI developed the ability to write a paper on a given subject for a student who could then pass it in as his own work, on the heels of that, uh, programs were written that could detect whether text was generated by AI. Sure. Then, then programs were created that saw the vulnerabilities in those, what, what it was those programs were looking at the text and using as indicators, and simply modified those indicators. So instead of saying a particular word or phrase in a particular way, you don't say it that way. Uh, mind you, it's still 98% AI generated, uh, and it gets past the current gatekeepers. And I expect that this is going to go on forever, forever, uh, just as virus protection has. And haven't you felt sometimes that the guy who's selling you a virus protection system might be the guy writing the code of the <laughs> next virus. The, the next yeah. successful one. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're forced to buy his new plan to protect yourself from so, his virus. But it's really not any different uh, in, in a sense um, than something that's been around for 20 years somewhat to the disadvantage of blind people sometimes, and that's CAPTCHAs. Yep. And um, to make them harder and harder yep. to... They did. Uh, in, in order to... And break yep. it. Yeah. It, it, yep. In order to prevent machines from getting access to systems and being able to screw data. Yep. Doesn't this sound familiar like what we call the arms race? It does. It's very similar. Yeah. So... Uh, I, I wonder whether that's simply the nature of things that we have short of circling the wagons, hunkering down and making the world go away. We simply have to accept that some things are like this. Some aspects of life right. are, are like this. There's something I really want to get into the conversation before we get too far here. And go for that it. Is because I have a few things. Is, 
Um, and this this part, I just don't have an answer to. So I, I don't have a glib response here, Paul. And that is the creative arts. Yep. You can ask an AI to write you a poem on anything. And you can ask it to do it according to maybe it's going to be a sonnet. You know, maybe it's yeah. going to be a haiku. And then you can say, and do it in the style of a particular well-known yeah. person in that area. Use uh, iambic pentameter. For, yeah. 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 And you can do the same thing with pictures. Paintings yes. or short stories, graphics of any kind. Uh, you can or, do this or music. There, yes, there, well, music there has, actually has proven to be one of the harder ones to do. But yes, yes, and music. I have an AI here on my desktop where I can say, "Write me a, uh, I don't know, a jazz song about." uh saxophones and do it in the style of click button let it go off and do it comes back with the print musical score and uh you can follow that up by saying i'd like this part played by this instrument and that one by this instrument and i want it to sound as if uh, some famous jazz vocalist was singing it. And it will come back with that. Now, uh, a true musical professional would look at it, you know, somebody who writes music professionally will look at it and say, something a high schooler could write. It, it'll be interesting when we eventually yeah. end up with the number one song that's been written by a machine. Little, there's a little uh, entity out there called uh, Owl City. Yeah. Yeah. How do you suppose yep. most of that is done? Yeah. Don't have an answer. Uh huh. Uh huh. Anyway, this idea of who owns the creative license in things. I'm not worried if somebody says, I'd like you to generate a picture. Uh, I take this picture of my dog and make it into a painting. Got no problem with that. But when you start to say in the style of, those people who have developed that style have spent a lifetime developing that style. So I have full empathy for the arts groups that are currently suing yep. uh, on that subject. I don't have an answer, though. There are those who feel the same way about music. Uh, you know, we talk about formulaic uh, romance writers. Uh, really? There's a... There's a series. There's a series on on on, uh, on the uh, what is it? Uh, Hallmark Channel. Yes, there are. Yes, and this particular series here in uh, 
what do they call it? They don't call it February. They call it uh, Valentine's Day. Loverary. Loverary. Month of Loverary. Anyway, it is called uh, whatever. uh, A National Parks Series. (laughs) So it's going to be the same basic plot line. But the first one was in Glaciers National Park. And the next one's going to be, I don't know, in the Mojave Yellowstone or Yellowstone or whatever. But it's just going to be the same boy meets girl, whatever kind Mm -hmm. of scenario going on there. Uh, So you can develop a style of doing something and others can co-opt it. But I get just as annoyed thinking that people have have developed through skill a particular uh, beat track. How okay. do we feel? How do we how do feel do about? That? Yeah. How do we feel do about that? a situation where there is there is a current demand that's been met in several cases that smoking be taken out of every movie yeah <laughs> again that this is what i was talking about earlier about how far do we want government to go yeah or whoever to, to, to save us from something yes. whatever that <laughs> something might be the downside of something uh so I have a I, I have I have a few more dark sides that I want to at least throw out on the table for Go people for to think about. Um, one one of those dark sides is is the fact that it seems to me um, that over uh, the next forty or fifty years um, there is going to be a much smaller workforce required. And it has, and it seems to me that no matter which way you jump at it, no matter how you allow for the ability of blind people to do jobs, we're going to be competing um, against uh, against folks who we were never competing against in the past um, because of the number of <clears throat> jobs that are going to go away. the The service sector is actually contracting for the first time over the past uh, twenty years or so. The number of small businesses that are being opened and organized in the service industry is also contracting. And so there are going to be an awful lot of people who are making money in those places who are going to be looking for jobs elsewhere. So I think that's going to put pressure on on um, the employment of, of people who are disabled across the board. I think, I, I think another dark element is similar to what Brian was just talking about. But it is it is to suggest that everyone is going to have access to a plethora of, of information, a plethora of games, of music, of, um, of drama, of television, of whatever you like. And at, and at costs that are either free or, or very, very minimal. And, 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 and I suspect that eventually what that's going to lead to is what is beginning to emerge now. 
And that is that places like Netflix and Amazon and HBO Max are having to find other ways of monetizing their services uh, by actually adding costs to their customers and creating two-tier systems. And I think these two-tier systems are going to become increasingly widespread in the system. But eventually, I think this whole approach to producing content um, is going to eventually become less and less viable because there are so many options out there that are so diffuse um, that there's not going to be enough money out there to allow for the monetization of the kind of golden age that we've had over the past 10 years or so. Um, and the, the last one that I at least want to put on the table is I think we are um, going to get to the stage where there is going to be major confrontation um, between, uh, if you like, the haves and have-nots. Um, those, those who have been able to game the system and, and those who have essentially been shut out by the system. Um, I, I, I have no idea how it will turn out. And, and God knows science fiction has come up with scenarios that are all over the place. But it's my belief that whether we like it or not, uh, the changes that are occurring in AI are going to create uh, a whole new class of individuals, individuals who won't be working, whether they will be individuals who will actually be able to um, make huge contribution contributions to the arts or to literature or to other things. I'm not sure, uh, because I think those are going to become increasingly difficult as well. So. Any thoughts on all of those, Mr. Bryan? Sure. Um, I don't think it's a uniquely blind or no. disabled no. issue. It's they a, aren't. It's a generic one size yes. all. <laughs> one sure. size hits all. Uh, yes. But there's also this issue of when it becomes easier and easier, not to go to work yes what will uh what will people do yeah uh, so talks talking about the concept of a minimum wage for everybody where whether you work or not you are guaranteed a government check doesn't matter right. why makes no difference yeah it, it is likely to be a concept floated, uh, just generally floated around. Oh, I uh, think so. The, there are countries uh, that already do it. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I think universal income will happen in most countries, certainly before, before 2070. So there's, there's that. When you can sit in your, space and the space around you its quality is less important than that that you can experience by putting a headset on mm -hmm. um you know we talk about couch potatoes well yeah, yeah wait till you get to the world you know, i've got a couple of nieces who right. i mean their lives are built around gaming 
and 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 are we going to with with all their time are we going to acculturate our children in such a way that they be comfortable with that become comfortable with that kind of lifestyle and environment and and where they're good with no expectations i i think it's a tough question i have a, a friend here who uh, comes to our home uh, about every other weekend when he has his kids on every other weekend and one of the remarkable things that we've noticed is how much of the time that he's with them he's looking at his phone oh dear uh now the kids love him he truly does love his kids but the the biggest christmas presents are things that connect to the internet Mm -hmm. that's the number one thing and it's styled, if you will. It's uh, uh, he's mentoring them, so to speak, by by personal action. That this is an acceptable thing. Uh, I'm glad that some of this stuff comes with exercise in it. You know, <laughs> some of the earliest ones were things where you stood in front of your uh, television with a game center attached to it, and you. Uh, dance or you box mm-hmm. or you do whatever i i just finished fixing a scrape on my living room ceiling that a friend of mine <laughs> from florida put there playing a virtual tennis game now it, it was all in the toy as opposed to online but did you get exercise playing that game paul sure did, sure, you, did, I really, did I really put it on that ceiling? You no, did indeed. I just had it repaired uh, two months ago. We enjoyed oh, it. We point at it and say, that's, that's, <laughs> Paul did that. And we get to tell the story over and over <laughs> and over again. So anyway, nonetheless, I'm just saying that there are. It's a great game. Positive though. side to things <laughs> like that. Oh, Kim just got the latest thing in Boppets. Uh, a single button bop it. Oh my no goodness. No handles, no anything. A single button bop it. Cool. Uh, but it says, bop it, you bop it. Bop it, you bop it. It says, don't bop it. And then you've already bopped it. So <laughs> you're out. Or we'll say, bop it, bop it. Now you have to do it twice. Uh, so it ain't as easy as it sounds, let me tell you. Uh, anyway, that this whole idea, though, that um, the growing number of hours that one can do leisure activities, right, as a result of AI, because they are so real. I yes. want to spend my staycation uh, on a boat going down the Amazon. I sure as hell don't want to do it live because I don't have to sweat doing it here in my home. But if I got all the sounds and they were able to make me feel as if I were on water, uh, all of those kinds of things, boy. And and we haven't talked about augmented or virtual reality at all tonight. That's perhaps... 
a topic for down the road, Mr. Bryan. Yeah, well, and, and again, this is, like Larry was saying, the kind of the intersection of things. No one yep. of these things is happening on its own. Some are happening as a result of uh, some underpinnings that are now available for them to design things on it. Uh, always looking for how can I monetize this thing? But Fair enough. there's an awful lot, a lot of research being done. Uh, and we're out of here, Mr. Brian. We got to go.